what to do if the sales of your AAA IP are drooping? If you're Capcom, take a look around for something popular and tangentially related and then steer head on into it, tossing your history to the curb in wild abandon. We're talking Resident Evil 7, and this is a matter of taste. <laughs> We're like babes in the wild. <laughs> or does in the landscape of the mind. It's going to be so subversive. They're going to love it. <laughs> so dark. <laughs> <laughs> she was like a sad cat. I'm sorry, but I want to be able to see out of my knuckle hair. You, you've opened my eyes. <laughs> we are a hive mind. We are one. Oh, hey, little nepotiz. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, that's upsetting. Say the word. You know the word. <laughs> this wackadoo. Good evening, listeners, and welcome to another episode of A Matter of Taste. My name is Fio. I am joined once again by uh, my good friend Ian. Hello! And we are here to talk about uh, the most recent release in the Resident Evil series, uh, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. Indeed. And uh, this is an interesting one, because you've, you've played it, yes. and I haven't played it, but when I was sick, I took an entire weekend and just watched somebody play it. <laughs> so, um, Not only did I play it, I, I have seen the game. Yes, I have played it on uh, PSVR. Yeah, yeah, you got the VR experience, which seems like it would be pants-shittingly terrifying. Oh, it was. <laughs> yeah, no, I I imagine so. It's much scarier than any Resident Evil game I've seen since, like, you know, playing the first one at sleepover parties. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was intense. Uh, do we want to start there, or is there a particular place we want to start? I mean, starting with that intense bit yeah. is uh, a good start. Um, to sort of explain where we're coming from here, or what why we're talking about Resident Evil 7, um, we were going to talk about A Cure for Wellness, but, man, that was only in theaters for like a hot minute. Uh, is, it, is it already out of theaters? I, yeah, no, that's why I couldn't see it. I tried to get tickets, and it, was, it wasn't in any theaters around me. Um, so, yeah. That did not do well. Uh, I am still excited to see it because it yeah, looks me too. fucking bug shit. It yeah. looks fucking bonkers. Um, <laughs> so I'm really excited to see that. So we couldn't do that. So um, And also, <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to hear our opinions on Get Out. Um, uh, it's yeah. a great movie. <laughs> you should go see it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen it yet, but I would. I really want to see it. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to hear my opinions on Get Out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a really good movie, and you should see it. So we'll touch that and, like, put that to the side. Um, so with those, like, options off the table, Resident Evil 7, you know, seemed like a good, uh, good choice as any for us to cover it. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, pants-shittingly terrifying. Go ahead. Okay, so... <laughs> um, yeah, I... I have a friend who uh, shilled out the money for a PSVR, and it, it's amazing. It's cool. It's I, I shouldn't say amazing. It's really cool. Um, I luckily have not experienced too much 
uh, the motion sickness stuff that other people have experienced, which actually, like, I, I watched a, a video on YouTube about the science behind it, and it was really fascinating. And it's, in a way, it's actually a misnomer to call it motion sickness, because motion sickness, like, is caused by, like, if you're in a car, your body is moving, and if you're, like, reading a book or something, then you're looking at something stationary, and that causes your body to get off kilter. This is the opposite of that. It looks like you're moving, but your body's in one place, and so it gives you that same sort of sick feeling, which the video actually explained as, essentially, your body thinks that you've been poisoned, and that's why your, like, equilibrium is off balance or something, and so the reason you feel nauseous is because you're trying, it's trying to vomit up the poison. Yeah, I think I, um... Oh, God. I think it was on an episode of uh, Penny Arcade's podcast that they talked about that. Mm-hmm. But this, um, this is not the horror that you came to hear, hear talked about. <laughs> yeah, no. It's true. Um, but yeah. to talk about, you know, these families hacking people's limbs off. Yeah. So, the uh, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard in VR was so cool and so friggin' scary, and both of those descriptors, I feel, are important because it could have been passionately terrifying in the way that something like PT was, where it's like, I don't even know if I want to continue. But uh, mm-hmm. the thing about this game is that it was terrifying, but it also was really fun. And so I was always excited to get back to it. Um, and I don't know what exactly makes it that way. And I'm not saying that that makes it better than PT or PT better than it or anything. It's just a different way it, it causes terror. And it was, it was so good. And the VR definitely intensified everything. Like, uh, my friend Andy, who's been on the podcast, he was on our, uh, Surf Ninjas episode and our, uh, music episode. Um, he, he's the one who has a PSVR. And uh, he played through it, and the thing that he, that first sort of just like blew his mind playing in VR was coming up to a corner and hearing something around it and being like, "Oh, what's the button for peeking around the corner?" And then just physically leaning out of his chair to look around the corner. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, there is no yeah. button because you can actually just literally peek around the corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. But the the thing that I think really shined in this game, especially with the VR, was just the environments. The environments were so meticulously crafted, and even with the sort of lower resolution that is necessary for the VR to work smoothly in this day and age, um, it was still, like... I, I'm trying to think of specific moments where I was just blown away by the level of detail. I remember walking up this... Also, spoilers. Tons of spoilers. I remember walking up the uh, the stairs to uh, the section where Lucas starts pulling all of his bullshit and you're, like, solving his puzzles and stuff. Mm-hmm. And just walking up those stairs with, like, all the sort of hodgepodge electrical equipment around it. And then you see, like, the black light with some message scrawled on the walls. And just the overall feel of it just felt very real and lived in. And I was like... Dan, I, I actually physically stopped for a moment, and I said to Andy, this game is just so pretty. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and then the the way that the molded, uh, well, the way that the mold and everything covers, it, it just 
so, so cool. Yeah, actually, the Lucas section I found kind of funny because I was watching it. Um, so I'm like laying on the couch watching this guy try to solve a puzzle, <laughs> and there is nothing more infuriating than watching somebody try to solve a puzzle that oh you've already gosh. figured out and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, because he was like trying to walk himself through it. That and it was like the second time around. Mm-hmm. So, but he just wasn't getting that. Like he didn't have to go through the whole puzzle because he'd already figured out like, oh. and shit. So. He was like, well, I could do this, and I could do this, and I'm sitting there like, just fucking, god damn it! Like, you already you know? have the con- Yeah, that was, that was interesting. Yeah, that was, that was infuriating. <laughs> um, I will say one thing, uh, one thing I like, I, of course the, the introductions, like, we kid, um, or I kid, cause I didn't run it by Ian before mm-hmm. I did it. Um, <laughs> About them sort of abandoning the, the history of the series. Cause that was, that was one thing I was worried about, um, when I played through the demo. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was what, like months ago now. Yeah. Um, but playing through the demo is kind of like, oh, this is like, I get that PT is really popular, but this is kind of just like PT now. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like, it, I was like really worried. You're basically just, they slap the Resident Evil name on like a really good horror game. Mm-hmm. So I can't even be that mad at it. Yeah. Well, see. But like, no, it's, it is very much a Resident Evil game once you get like past that first act. Yeah. Like it very, very heavily leans into like all of the classic Resident Evil tropes without being as like goofy as some of the later games have become. <laughs> and, and see, two things. One, I had that same feeling while playing the demo that, like, oh, this is very much like PT, but I was just glad that someone was doing something in that style because Konami sure fucking wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, the other thing is, uh, another interesting thing about this, uh, this whole, the circumstances of this episode is that this is my first Resident Evil game and you've played the rest of the series. As yeah, far as I know. That's, that's interesting. This is, this is a very interesting, um, place to come in because it does it does follow through on a lot of the like a lot of the tropes, especially like the whole biohazard thing. Yeah, like once they because you know watching it's like I don't know what's going on, but once it's like oh it's it's like a chemical or it's like a weapon. I'm like yeah. yeah, no that's yeah that's Resident Evil. Some company's always fucking something up, mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to make some sort of super soldier. <laughs> out of like horror movie tropes. Yeah. Like, I don't get why you don't think that's gonna go poorly for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah, think that, that got me really jazzed. Uh yeah, I think the the moment the moment where the game really started to feel like Resident Evil to me, which me having my only experience with Resident Evil before now had been like watching trailers and stuff, seeing I, I think I watched the first four Resident Evil movies. I have a soft spot for the Resident Evil. Yeah, movies. they're not great, but I, I do enjoy them. I mean, they have my uh, uh, <laughs> they, there's the Oded Fair Factor. Oh yes, which cannot be uh, dismissed. <laughs> um, and I think the first one's actually really solid. Like, yeah, the first one's just a really solid flick. Uh, the rest of them are just kind of... There are, there are moments in the, the third one that I really like. Like when when she walks down into that laboratory and she's just... It's very harkening back to aliens. But mm-hmm. the, the movie for a second just takes a moment to like let the atmosphere settle in. And let the scenery do the work rather than... Hey, 
let's fight all these giant crazy creatures. Um, which is cool, but yeah, for the, the, the fourth one was so just like phoned in in terms of the writing. I was just like, okay, I don't need to watch another one of these. Yeah, it's also <laughs> like, how do you waste Wentworth Miller as Chris Redfield? Seriously. Like, that's so good. That's <laughs> such a good casting. <laughs> the he, man is, the man is underutilized. To get the man some more work. <laughs> basically, there's nothing in that movie. Like, yeah. I, I hardly remember the plot of that movie. But Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. But Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. Redfield shows up at the end. Yes. Um, which, apparently working for Umbrella now, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely clear on the continuity of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's a reboot, is it? It's just like no. a sequel, right? It's a sequel, I believe. Yeah. Was that Mercer voicing Redfield at the end? Uh, I don't think Mercer doesn't voice Chris Redfield. Or oh no, he he voices Leon. He voices Kennedy. Leon. That's yeah. right. Okay, so he is voicing uh, Leon in a uh, movie. That's coming yeah, out. that movie that's coming out. The CGI movies I've always enjoyed. They're again, I've heard they're good, ridiculous, but uh, I like them a lot. Degeneration does some pretty cool stuff. Um. Yeah, so Chris Redfield's apparently working for Umbrella now, I guess. Because that, like, when they show, when the, whatever, whoever it is, whatever shell company they're using now, because hmm. it was, like, Umbrella, then it was somebody else, then it was Tricell, then it was, I don't know. <laughs> something I don't know this. <laughs> uh, But whatever shell company they're using now that's just the Umbrella Corporation, um, this was very clearly meant to be that. Because, like, their logo looks like the Umbrella yeah. logo. Yeah. Uh, so I'm interested to see what they're doing with that. And that was, that was pretty cool. Um, cause like I said, it's, it's interesting cause it's definitely a different take mm-hmm. for a Resident Evil game. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that they sort of throw in there that it's like, this is, yeah, this is what reminds me that you're still playing a Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. Like the ridiculous keys. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, in the, playthrough I watched as soon as he got the Magnum. I was like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, my, go- my go-to in any horror game is always the shotgun. I-, I like having something that actually, like, stops something in its place while I'm shooting at it. <laughs> um, I just remember loving the Magnum in Resident Evil 4. Oh, yeah. It was like, god, it was so good. And 4... I, I'd have to actually get my hands on a controller for this one. Um, hmm. Just at the moment, I don't have a new game in my budget yeah. till Persona 5 comes out and destroys my entire life. <laughs> um, so I didn't really have anything budgeted for Resident Evil 7, so I didn't pick it up. Uh, and I'd like to get my hands uh, on a controller and play through it, because I, I really want to see how it stacks up to 4, which I still think is the, is the series' best so far. Funny story, I actually played, like, the first half hour of 4, I think, but mm-hmm. I never went back to it, because the version I had was for the Wii, and I was just not doing those controllers. Yeah, I don't... I've never played it on the Wii, but... It, well, it's not a game that was designed for the Wii, so... Well, it was... Yeah, it was, like, what was it? GameCube, and then it was ported to PS2. Mm-hmm. Then it was ported to Wii as, like, a Wii launch title or something. Yeah, I don't know if it was a launch title, but it was very early on in the Wii's mm-hmm. lifespan that Resident Evil 4 was ported over there. So yeah, I, I've heard that that's one of the best games in the franchise, but I, I 
I haven't actually sat down and played through the whole thing. Yeah, four is a blast. Um, I mean, you can see the impression that four has left on us. Whenever we play D and D and Andrew's up in battle, there's at least somebody who's going to go Leon. <laughs> Leon. <laughs> it took me until just now, as we were talking about Leon Kennedy, to realize, oh, that's why we do that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where because there's like missions that are like kind of escort missions and the. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the president's daughter or something you're yeah. rescuing. And uh, she'll, like, yell for you if she gets kidnapped. Yeah. And it starts to... It, like, bores into the back of your brain because you hear it so often. Yeah. Is it anything like, hey, listen? <laughs> A little, yeah. That and the uh, the merchant. God, the merchant needs to show up again. He was great. <laughs> I do remember him. Game. <laughs> What are you buying? But Resident Evil 7. Resident Evil 7, though. Um, the monsters were cool. Yeah. I, I, I did see some criticism that like there wasn't a whole ton of variation, but the, the bakers themselves, I thought, were really well designed. They they were really well designed, and they had such presence. Yeah. Like, they were, they were characters. Um, and the environments and how they kind of reflected the 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 bakers themselves was really cool. Yeah. Um so that was pretty dope. Uh yeah, the monsters are kind of just fungoids. Mm-hmm. But um I thought that was pretty interesting that, you know, in terms of how different sicknesses spread, they've got viruses down, they've got parasites, and now they have like fungal infections. Yeah. Uh taken care of. So <laughs> I'm curious to see what we'll see next week some business. If I'm missing, like, some bacterial thing, I apologize. <laughs> maybe there was... Was five, maybe? I don't know. Um, I thought five were modified Plagas, but I, I, it's been years since I played five. Um, Quick side note. There was actually a very uh, recent episode of Sci-Fi's Face-Off where that was sort of their theme, was mad scientists transforming themselves into different things, and each one had a different... Uh, cause like one of them was electricity, one of them was uh, insectoid uh, augmentation, one of them was like chemical augmentation or something like that. It was it, it sort of in a similar vein of like let's let's how many different types of things can we come up with in terms of causes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, like I, the molded, I, I thought that her design was very cool and also very frightening when I, when I started playing the game. Um, I, like whenever you take away the eyes as something to connect with, that definitely intensifies, uh, the uncanny valiness. Well, and they're also, they become the faceless mooks that you can blow away without, you That's know. true. <laughs> without too much hemming and hawing. Mm-hmm. Um, that is one of the things I really appreciated about the VR. I, like, I have always had trouble with uh, first-person shooters playing with a, a, a game controller just because I don't have the coordination for it. Like mm-hmm. Playing multiplayer games back in college with people, I was just like, I, I, I mean... It's nice to be hanging out with you guys, but I'm not having a whole lot of fun playing this game. <laughs> yeah, that's like whenever uh, there are certain games that 
Vic will ask me to play, it's like, oh yeah, no, I'd love to just sit there and get my ass whipped for the next yeah. few minutes. But it's really, it's really what I'm what I'm looking for. Yeah. Tonight. One of the nice things about playing in VR is I essentially just had to look at the in the particular direction because you have a little like dot reticle thing whenever you have a weapon out. Uh, it, it made it a lot more intuitive the aiming process. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like it would make it a bit easier. And dude, that that like was especially helpful in like specifically I'm thinking of the Marguerite boss battle where Oh, okay. Yeah. My philosophy with that was just like, okay, stop for a moment, take like five pot shots and then just keep moving, keep moving cuz she like the way she would climb over everything and burst out of stuff like fuck. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing was very disturbing. Oh yeah. That entire boss battle was was rough to watch, man. That was probably the most disturbing. I, I would probably say, yeah, the most disturbing part of the game in terms of the, the yeah, just I don't even have to go any deeper than that. It was very disturbing. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely was. Uh, the the first boss battle with uh. What's the dad's name? I can never remember his name. I keep wanting to call him Ethan, but that's the name of the main character. But the reason I want to call him that... Jack. Jack, that's right. Jack. It it did get kind of old. His uh, like Once a second boss battle with him came around, and they started reusing the Ethan. Ethan. (laughs) Mm. Um, They just reused the same sound files, and it's like... But pitched down and distorted because now he's a Dark Souls boss, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't played a Dark Souls game, but I was watching a Let's Play... I was watching someone on Twitch play Dark Souls a few days before I hit that boss battle, and so when I was like, oh, now he's a giant, like, fungoid monster, and you have to shoot his eyes. This feels very much like that boss battle I was just watching. <laughs> you have to shoot his glowing weak spot. Mm. Um... Yeah, that was pretty cool with him, where he like comes up out of the floor or whatever. Yeah, uh, but it's just a multi-leveled thing going on. The the first boss battle with him, actually, the one where you get the chainsaw, that one uh, I thought was just that one was very intense to be playing in a first-person perspective, and also yeah, because there's nowhere to go in that arena. There's That's a nowhere very to go. small area for like, that boss battle. With both boss battles, it's all just just about like keep moving, keep moving. And, like, look over your shoulder sometimes. And, like, again, I'm physically looking over my shoulder because VR. <laughs> so weird. Um, but uh, the thing that, I like, the the progression of that boss battle, I really appreciated how, like, you would uh, get a good hit on him and he would sort of be split open for a second and so you could, like, do more damage. And then he would, like, reform. But then at the very end... I noticed, like, when he's finally at a point where, like, he's about to explode, I think, is what happens to him. You see, like, this actual, like, almost face and pair of jaws, like, coming up out of his shoulder. It's just this weird obtuse obtuse anatomy or geometry that I was like, oh, that's a really cool design, and also really fucking disturbing. (laughs) Um, That's a thing, like... Watching... Go ahead. Oh, go on. No, go on. Um, the the one of the things I really appreciated about this game is because 
Like, the, uh... The house is really the best part of the game. Like, the, the boat is cool. The boat is where the game really started to feel like Resident Evil to me. Um, yeah. No, the boat's very Resident Evil. But, uh... And not to say that the boat or the mining section, which the mining sec, I will say the mining section is kind of stupid. It's like, it comes out of nowhere. It doesn't really have any thematic significance. Basically, we were, I was talking to Andy about it last night. It's just there to get that lab into the story somehow, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Um, but not to say, not to say that those are lesser parts of the game, but I'm going to say that they're lesser parts of the game because the house is really where the game shines. And it shows, the house just has so much personality. It has so much personality. It's so much tied into the characters. And like you were saying, reflects the characters. Uh, and uh, it shows how when you when you have a, a particular vision for whatever you're doing, whether it's like a, a book or a TV show or a video game, when you have a particular vision and you stick to it and you, you throw out, you use sort of like process of elimination, you use you throw out anything that's not that thing. Uh, I'm sure that they came up with a ton of cool ideas over the course of making this game that just never made it into the game because it's like, no, this is this is what this game is about. It's not about whatever Resident Evil 5 was about. It's not about whatever Resident Evil 6 was about. This is this game. So when you have that focus, you get stuff that's this carefully crafted and has that much personality. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, other things I really appreciated was like, I wasn't expecting too deep of the story and like the, the main characters, Mia becomes more interesting once you find out that she actually had something to do with Evelyn and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which that could have been like, if, if they had uh, sprinkled that in a little bit more earlier, I think that there would have been more flow and there would have been more weight to that bullshit decision. Oh, do you save Mia or do you save Zoe? Um, but, uh, what was I saying? Crap. I went off on a tangent. What was my original point? Oh, the, uh, the Bakers, though, they're such well-realized characters in terms of video games. They've got great voice acting. They, like you were saying, they've got such presence and through, like, the notes and stuff you find, you find out they become sympathetic victims of this whole thing in a certain way, except for Lucas, because apparently he's just been a dick since he was five years old, locking someone up in an attic. Yeah, that was messed up. That was so messed up. (laughs) But I really appreciated, like, finding Marguerite's journal and seeing her be like, I feel like I'm losing my mind. And it's like, oh, man, this is, like, tragic. Yeah. And then like, I really appreciated that even even that far into the game when uh, you finish up the Mia section and you go back to Ethan uh, right before he comes out of that like mold cocoon that he was stuck in, you get that moment with Jack. It's, a, it's sort of like a vision or a dream or something, and Zoe's in the room too, uh, and he just like it, it's just a moment to touch back with those characters and and. Uh, Again, add more dimension to them, make them more sympathetic, and make the story have a little bit more emotional weight. Mm. Don't know how much it really matters in the long run, but I appreciate it. <laughs> um, yeah, so since I mentioned it, 
the whole save Mia or save cure Mia or cure Zoe thing. I was talking to Andy about it last night, and it's just like that was such a clumsy, clumsy bit of game design. Yeah, it really, really is. Because I, I didn't play. If you cure Zoe, I, I like basically Andy told me cure Mia because the way that they, the, the way that the story ends up going, if you cure Zoe, is just kind of like it doesn't end up mattering at all. Like you get to the boat, I think, and then she just gets killed, and you end up as Mia anyway, or something. I think so. Yeah. Um. But uh. Yeah, we were talking about it, and it, it, it's it. We both think that they probably wanted to do more with Zoe. They were like, "Oh, we can have this splitting off moment," and like again, Resident Evil, we can have a whole another storyline with this particular character, and it'll be cool. But again, it it's one of those things that probably got left on the cutting room floor, and it not just that, but like the way it was set up where you get to the end of the second Jack boss fight, and it's like, oh, stick him with the serum. It should kill him. And I'm, like, it's so obvious at that point what's happening with the story. It's like, oh, we're going to use one of the things on him, and so we have to choose. it. When yeah. there, there have been so many moments that, like, genuinely, uh, not necessarily, like, were revolutionary in terms of storyline or, like, really shocked me, but since the story had been... Uh, so well plotted up until that point, and then you have this very obvious, just like, oh, we're about to have a moral choice moment. Uh, or not really even moral choice, just, we're gonna give choice. you choices. Yeah, the path is gonna diverge here. <laughs> yeah, and Andy and I had a discussion about, like, compare that to games like the Telltale games, where the choices that you make, they, it isn't just that you get choices and they have an effect on the game, it's that a lot of the choices have emotional weight to them and matter. Uh, yeah. Because I, just from a philosophical standpoint, I feel like there are a lot of game developers who are like, oh, well, people expect to get choices and have multiple endings in games now, so we need to provide that for them. But it's like, okay, maybe, but if you're going to do that, make sure the choices matter. Make sure it's yeah. not just, oh, we're going to give you a choice to do this thing or the other thing, but it doesn't really matter in the end. Unless, yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, do it well. Unless you're making Bioshock Infinite, and the whole point is that none of the choices you make matter. Right. Well, that's its own. Thing. That's its own that's, thing. That's very clearly trying to tell its own kind of story there. Yeah, it has a thematic purpose for that. Um. <clears throat> but yeah, like. Th- Again, going back to the house as such a well-designed bit of video game, like, you you got the gore stuff right up front in the guest house with, like, the weird Mia going back in, back and forth between being infected and not being infected. Um, you get the... Get fucked up real yeah, bad. Fucked up really bad. Uh, you get, I was surprised <laughs> at how badly you get fucked up in the first, like, the opening act of that game. I was, like, slightly prepared for it, because I I, uh, I follow CJ Melendez, one of the writers for Rely on Horror on Twitter, and uh, I saw a couple of his tweets about playing the beginning of the game, and he's just like, oh, this just got ridiculously gory right off the bat. This is hilarious. 
<laughs> how over the top gory it is. But uh, you get that, and then you get the like very the intense sort of like uh, amnesia, the dark descent style horror with uh, Jack walking around the house, and you got to avoid him and stuff. Um, and then you get the. Uh, the, the, the moment that I loved and also was the most terrifying part of the game for me is when you need to go through that darkened area to get the D-series arm. And uh, it's, it's, it's through, like, the really heavily... Uh, it, it's through, like, the playroom, the kids' room, and then the uh, really heavily molded area. And it's just dark, and all you have is your flashlight, and then that starts fading, and then you hear the little girl's voice, and it's just like, why? <laughs> like, I took two why steps... Are you doing this to me? I took two steps into the area, saw, like, a ball rolling across the ground, and I'm just like... Just, nope. Nope. None of this <laughs> nope. is okay. None <laughs> of this is okay. I'm just gonna sit in the ball and wait for my own death. That's what we're gonna do. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, that's in, like, the boathouse, isn't it? Uh, yes, yeah, because it's before the Marguerite battle. Yeah. Yeah, that was aft up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Actually, one of the things... This is what I was thinking when you were originally talking about the last, uh, or the second Jack boss battle. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh... The bit where, uh... <laughs> one of the things that it's, like... This is a Resident Evil game that I noticed <laughs> is the giant sprays of mucus that don't seem oh. to actually like land on anything or do anything. Oh. Like like when you fire it like sprays out like a weird gout of like mucus texture effects. Yeah. But they don't like land on the floor, they just kind of like spray out and disappear. Yeah, that, that wasn't That's that's very Resident Evil. That wasn't Jack, that was the weird sort of like bloated dude in the barn. That Lucas lets loose on you. Is that what I'm thinking? Jack definitely does. Like maybe he like vomits on you or something. Oh, he might. He, he definitely has something that does that like texture effect. Okay, if you get too close to him, maybe I never wanted to get that close to him. I think if you get too close to him, he can like vomit on you or something. Yeah, I think you might be right. I'm. I think I'm remembering that now. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of the effect. That's like so Capcom, because I think Onimusha does it too. Like it's just their thing. Vomit. Yeah, everything's so fucking gross. Um, this is uh, <laughs> Resident Evil definitely um lives by that Stephen King quote that's like, uh, try to terrify, and if you can't terrify, horrify, and if I can't horrify, I go for the gross out. I'm not proud. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh man, I was really um I thought it was really cool that moment where you have to fish the uh key out of the dude's body. Oh yeah. And nothing happens. Oh yeah. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Cause the tension in that is so like they twist the knife so much. Oh yeah. Um or turn the screws, I'm thinking, because yeah. it's tension. They turn the screws so much, and like then nothing happens. It's such a, it's such a dick move. I love it. Yeah, yeah. That that cop didn't stand a chance. No, poor dude. Poor dude. He got like a shovel through the face, didn't he? That yeah, was that was Jack. 
Oh, that that whole sequence was intense too. Freaking. Oh yeah, that the, boss fight in like the garage. In the garage with the car and everything, I was just like, "Holy shit, what's going on? What do I do? I can't kill him." <laughs> and like the the moment where I was like, "Oh, I'm fucked," is like after you crash the car and everything, and it sets on fire or whatever, and then he walks out of the the wreckage just on fire, and I'm like, "Oh man, I <laughs> I am in over my head." <laughs> Oh man, those the mark the bakers were so well designed. They are. They're they're very well realized. It's weird because there were moments where I thought like it was actually going to turn out that Lucas was like. There were a couple things he said that made me think that he was going to be like okay or something, but then uh, like everything else was pointing to. Yeah, he's just the worst fucking person in the world. Yeah. Second only to, I guess, Mason Verger. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, his, his puzzle sequence, like, that, if you're gonna do a puzzle, that's the way to do it. It, it was interesting because it was almost like an escape room. It was literally yeah, an escape room. No, that's, that's definitely what I thought of. <laughs> uh, and I was not expecting, like, once I finally got all the pieces of the puzzle together and I got the pen into that weird clown's hand and actually turned it on and everything, I was not expecting it to just grab the arm and start carving the password into it. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that either. That took me by surprise. Yeah, that came out of, like, nowhere. <laughs> there, there were so many moments like that where... They, they really did a good job setting up the scares by like making you not even expect them. Yeah, I, no, that's true. I also had a moment in that sequence when, uh, like, uh, you you go into the bathroom and the the toilet's full, just like nasty shit. Mm -hmm. I was just like, now if I was James Sunderland, I would totally stick my hand in this, but, <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, there's just so many things that I really appreciated about this game, and like that—that that was one of the things that Andy and I kept talking about. Once we, once he finished the game, he was just like, "I'm just so glad it was good," because it could have very easily been one of those situations where it's like, "Oh, the studio is taking a risk, trying to do something different than they usually do," and it, if it didn't go well, then it, the rest of the video game industry would be like. Oh well, see, this is what happens when you take risks. It goes badly. Yeah. But since it like, and it's not a perfect game, obviously. But since it, they did do so friggin' well with it, I'm really excited to see what happens with the uh, specifically horror video games, but really VR games in general uh, in the future. Yeah, I am really itching to try out a VR system, but, like, obviously don't have... Well, I don't have the money. I don't have the fucking rig to run, like, an Oculus or anything like that. Um, I don't even know what's on PlayStation VR. I'd, I'd have to look into it. I, uh, quick aside, I played Batman Arkham. Oh yeah, you were telling uh, you were telling us about that the other day. That was awesome, and when, when Vic came to visit, 
I made sure he got a chance to play it, and I'm pretty sure he never wanted to take that headset out. <laughs> Vic's like the biggest Batman fan, listeners. And like, so we we have a bunch of comic book geeks in our group of friends here in Syracuse, and so my friend Andy was basically having everyone who came over just play Batman Arkham because it, it's only about like an hour long if you're just plowing through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's a shooting range thing in the back cave with batarangs and uh, out of all the people that played that, Vic got the high score on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe that. But anyway, back to Resident Evil. <laughs> Yeah, horror VR is going to be its its own thing. And yeah. That genre is either going to really shine in VR, or nobody's going to play it. Because yeah. <laughs> it's going to be too scary. <laughs> I, I feel like everybody... I don't think there's any middle ground for that one. I think every person is going to choose one or the other. Mm-hmm. Either you're going to play every horror game that comes out, for VR, if you have it, or you are never going to touch a horror game <laughs> in VR. I don't think there's any... <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think there's any... Uh, I think that's a pretty pretty clear-cut uh, dichotomy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I can't imagine what playing in VR would have been like. Uh, Especially that- the scene that you were talking about, like the really claustrophobic boss fights against like Jack. Yeah. That and just that that whole sequence where you're basically just walking in the dark with a flashlight. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, Another VR game, another horror, technically horror VR game I got to try out uh, over at Andy's was uh, the uh, Until Dawn Rush of Blood rails shooter thing. Huh. Which was also very fun. And also really wild from a VR perspective because, like, it's essentially like a carnival ride. You're riding in a, a cart, minecart type thing, and you're going down shooting targets and stuff and monsters. Mm-hmm. And there are moments where it really starts to feel like a roller coaster. Like, you go up a tall hill and then you'll drop. And it's the weirdest fucking sensation because your brain actually registers vertigo as you're falling down this hill. But your body is sitting in one place, not moving. That's cool. Yeah. That is really cool. It was the wildest feeling the first time it happened. I'm trying to think of if there's anything else in particular I want to talk about with Resident Evil 7. Um... Evelyn. We haven't really talked about Evelyn at all. The uh, the reveal at the end was pretty cool. Yes, that took me by surprise. Even after reading the little note on the computer that was like, oh, it seems like she's starting to age or something. Yeah. For whatever reason, I thought, like, I, I wasn't paying attention to the dates on the emails, I think. And mm-hmm. so I thought that had been written, like, very recently. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then when they had that reveal of uh, Evelyn as who you thought was the grandmother, I was like, oh, wow. 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 Because reading Marguerite's diary, I actually thought that that was like the grandmother's diary. Oh. Hmm. 
So yeah, when that came out, I was like, that that I didn't see coming at all. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, feel free to lambaste us for not uh, <laughs> not seeing that yeah. twist coming. But yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, and she she's friggin' creepy where she appears yeah. and stuff. Like, there's that one part uh, after, I think it's after the Jack boss battle, you come up out of the basement, like, tunnel system, essentially, and she's sitting there at the top of the stairs. I went and saved, came back out of the room, she's still sitting there, and I think she's humming Go Tell Aunt Rosie. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm just, like, walking slowly by her, like, nothing to see here, everything's (laughs) okay. I turn the corner, and she's still singing, and then I turn back, and she's gone, and the music, and she's not humming anymore, just vanished, and I'm like, okay, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, like, the sound design was really well done for it, too, because, like, the moment I peeked back around the corner to look at her, like, I think you hear... Like the mute, the, her humming cut off by like a, so it actually, it isn't just like oh the sound stopped. It had some like just kudos to the sound design in this game, the sound designers. Uh, and there were so many claustrophobic moments in that game, like every time you went down into a cubby or something, and you had to crawl. Or, like, you're walking through water underneath some low ceiling, and... Man. <laughs> that that was one of the things I wanted to bring up. In a, like, a bigger picture sense, going back to that whole idea of they had a particular vision, there... I, I feel like there were a lot of different design elements that they... or, or ideas that they pulled from different influences. Like, you, you've got, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibe from the whole, like, backwoods family Chainsaw? thing. And Chainsaw. <laughs> uh, you've got the the molded sort are sort of similar to what they did with the... Or, like, just the idea of mold fungal type thing is kind of similar to the zombies in Last of Us. Evelyn yeah. is basically just Alessa from Silent Hill. <laughs> Pretty much. Um... And, uh, like, a lot of the gameplay element had that sort of PT vibe. But, but the thing is... Or the girl from Fear. Or the girl from Fear. Like, the little girls in horror things. Or, yeah. Like, we could <laughs> it's talk a, about it's a thing. the yes. ring and all that. It's, it's, it's a thing, and it's a thing that I'm thinking we need to get over as an entertainment industry. <laughs> um, because it keeps happening. Huge burn on little girls in horror out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to be fair, to to be clear, not necessarily the actresses who play these characters, but just the I know I, that, yes. I'm messing with you. <laughs> I am messing with you. Keep going. Um, but uh, the fact that they were pulling in all these influences, but it wasn't just a hodgepodge thing of like, oh, we thought this would be a cool idea to include. It's they. They had their their core at the middle of it. This story of oh, there's this boat that crashed out in the river just outside this family's property, and they went to investigate it, and they got fucked up. Yeah. Um. 
in terms of like the three location structure, mm. uh, even though I, I kind of agree with you that the salt mines bit is a little like tacked on mm. uh, at the end, but it makes infinitely more sense than the fucking castle in Resident Evil Four. <laughs> Where it's like, okay, you're in this village. It's like a backwoods village. You know, there's this cult. Everything's creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the village section's awesome. Like, it's really good. Uh, and then it's like, oh, and now you're at a castle. And there's this tiny Napoleonic man taunting you. And I guess he's a zombie. And there are knights, I think. I think there are knights, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh There's also these weird creatures with, like, arm blades that are blind so you have to be like really quiet when moving through those areas, and it's like this huge castle with like dudes with I think they have like flails. I want to say. <laughs> um, so suddenly we're in a medieval game. Yeah, and then you beat the castle, and it's like the next, the third uh, location is like an island where there's this research lab, and that's where the they got the plagas that they infect everything with, and it's like, well, that makes sense. Like what? Why couldn't the second bit make sense too, guys? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So, yeah, and I love four. Like I love the castle section. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So this one, it it felt a lot more natural. Where it's like, you know, you're in the house, you get to the boat, and mm-hmm. then on the boat you find out about the lab, so you go to the lab. Like, yeah, that worked for me a lot better than than. Uh, the narrative, the like weird narrative, like uh, contortions they're making to send you to a fucking castle in four. Yeah, and this actually speaks to uh, an issue that I think a lot of developers in the game industry have at the moment. Uh, I may be wrong about this. This is based on just a few things I've heard. Because uh, I think was the story. I heard that the story for this game was outsourced. Or at least the writing or something where it was outsourced. Hmm. Which I find it really interesting because it's it's so well integrated into the actual flow of the game. Compare that to uh, Silent Hill Downpour, which I actually... Uh, <laughs> no, you know what's funny? What? Because I'm looking at this now. The, uh, the comment about uh, Evelyn. Hmm. The dude who wrote the narrative, or the narrative designer... Uh, this is Richard Pearsey, mm-hmm. wrote two Fear expansion packs. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you got a trend there, dude? Yeah. <laughs> hey, he's got a thing. It's fine. He's got a That's... thing. As long as he does it well. <laughs> yeah. It works. But, uh, so, uh, I think it was a couple months ago now, and I can't remember if I talked about this on the podcast, but rely on a horror uh a horror video game website uh they did a 24 hour live stream or was it 48 hour i can't remember i think it might have been 48 hour over like a weekend where they played through all the silent hill games up until downpour because they weren't going to bother with broken memories since so different from the other ones um and over the course of that uh live stream they actually had a bunch of people involved with the making of the Silent Hill games on the stream and, like, had little interview-type things with them. They got questions from the chat. They had, like, the voice actress from Mary slash Maria from Silent Hill 2. 
They had uh, the uh, Jeremy Blaustein, the scriptwriter and like localization dude for Silent Hill Two, and they also had Tom Waltz, who wrote several of the better Silent Hill comics, and also wrote the story for Silent Hill, the script for Silent Hill Downpour. And when he was on, I actually asked him uh, how involved he was with the monster creation process for Silent Hill Downpour. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I tried to ask it tac- as tactfully as possible because I didn't want to get on his case for what I felt and what a lot of people felt like was a kind of poor creature design for Silent Hill Downpour. And someone actually on who's on the chat from Reliant Horror did a very, very good job of getting that sentiment into the question in a very tactful and polite way. Yeah. <laughs> which I really appreciated. And he, Tom Waltz, actually said, yeah, I didn't really have uh, a lot of uh, interaction with the team that, that like, made the... with, like, the art team or the people who made the monsters... Um, his like it was sort of two separate divisions. He had the writing stuff. They had like the actual gameplay elements, and it it made me wonder how many games are developed that way, where they have the game developers, the the people who are actually like doing the coding or designing the gameplay elements, and uh, they're completely divorced from the writing process. Which for a ga- game series like Silent Hill seems like particularly heinous because. And I was just talking to you about this on Facebook, I think. The point of the creatures in those games is that they're in some way directly spawned from the psyche of the main characters. Uh, That said, it may have just been like that particular design team. They just didn't have a whole lot of really creative uh, ideas for creatures because they're mostly just weird-looking people with uh, weird-looking eyes and weird-looking claws. That's most of the creatures in Downpour, which is unfortunate. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's... Compare that to a game like this, where they don't have a whole ton of different creature designs, but they're all... They all make sense to the story. They're all sort of spawned out of this idea of the molded and the way that this infection is affecting the the family. Like, th- that was another thing that I found really interesting. Like, it, the way it affects them, it affects their brains, and then it, they another interesting dimension to their, pers- their personalities is that, like, there's this whole immortality side of it. Yeah, yeah. That, the, that whole thing, uh, like, I, I don't know... There, there's more I would want to mine out of that, just like in like an essay or something. But that aspect <laughs> of the story, I just found really interesting, especially in a, a series that's so much established as like just oh, it's kill, shoot them up, kill zombies type things. Yeah, yeah. It shows a side of it that's almost like like early on, especially when you don't know why this was created. It's really interesting to think, like, oh, was someone trying to, like, create just a way to extend their life, and this is what accidentally came out of it? Of course, then it ends up being the whole Resident Evil biohazard thing. Yeah. 
which in its own way was interesting. Why they decided, oh, we need this to incubate in the body of a 10-year-old girl or whatever. Yeah, no one in that that like brainstorming room thought that they might don't, be they don't, bad. They don't know they're in Resident Evil. They don't know they're in Resident Evil. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah. No, I I concur. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> but Umbrella is known for series of terrible, terrible ideas. Yeah. That, that that was one of the moments, like, early on in the game, when you read the thing, you read, I think it's one of Jack's journal entries, where he says, like, oh, yeah, there's a boat that crashed out in the bayou. I'm just like, oh, I bet it has a giant umbrella on the side of it. That's how all this happened. <laughs> wow. Fuck you guys at Umbrella Corp again. <laughs> and that, that was a nice way to, like, very early on, just tie it into the Resident Evil franchise without it being slavishly, like, trying to make references to it and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so much of this game was so well-paced and plotted and written. I really liked it. And apparently they're having some DLC coming out. Supposedly... I think I I I saw that, yeah. uh, It... I, yeah, I think after the credits, there was a thing that was like spring 2017, and it's like, well, we're we're starting to get there. <laughs> well, technically, we are there. Yes, we are there. We're, we're past the equinox. So mm-hmm. It is technically spring. Tell that to Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Philly's been doing weird stuff, man. Like the the weather's been going from like mild to cold, and it's really messing with me. Like I'm yeah. getting headaches. It like, happened to us too. Feel good. Like, that's actually just the mold. You're about to turn into a crazy, Im- immortal zombie person. If it's the mold, it's gonna have to fight everything else I got going on in here. <laughs> good luck. Oh man, <laughs> that that was another thing that I wish they. It was such a short part of the game, like that whole flashback with Mia and the fake dad where oh, like yeah. her Evelyn's whole the way that she quote unquote infected people and the way that she sort of mind controlled people I still even after playing the whole game that I'm still sort of hazy on the actual concrete details of that and mechanics of it yeah I don't know if that that was I think that was one of the weaker parts of the game yeah is that that wasn't not that everything needs to be, you know, like 100% fleshed out, mm. but that was definitely not, you know, not the most uh, clear mm. part of the part of the game. Well, and I, in the back of my mind, I knew they weren't going to address this, so when they didn't, I wasn't surprised, just disappointed. <laughs> I'm, just not, I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Resident Evil Seven, go to your room. Uh, <laughs> but uh. Like, the moment you wake up at the at the dinner table, which the whole dinner table scene is what sold me on the game in the first place when they first released that clip. <laughs> that is terrifying. The dinner table scene is terrifying. Because you're just bound in that chair, and they're just talking at you, staring at you, and, like, trying to feed you nasty shit, and then, like, chopping off Lucas's hand and stuff. Uh, just, like, this game, if nothing else, looks like it's going to be a trip. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, but uh, the moment you wake up, well, the moment they show like Zoe, I, I guess it was reattaching your arm and stuff, and you got like the health thing on it. I'm just like, okay, when are we going to find out? When is Ethan going to realize that he's probably infected? And they never really addressed it, but he even gets, like, it, like towards the end of the game, you have those sort of uh, hallucination moments of Mia coming at you with the chainsaw. Again, indicating, oh, Ethan's definitely infected because we just read something saying that this is what happens to people that are infected by Evelyn or whatever. Right. And just, like, the thing that frustrates me about it is that it's a perfectly fine in-game reason to explain why you're able to survive all this shit. Yeah. But they never really touched on it uh, or address it, and then you get to the end of the game, and it's just like, oh, everything's fine. I'm gonna speak a really really terrible cliche and wrap things up because that's what that was the worst moment in ter- for me in terms of the writing when you're watching like them fly away and then you get the narration that starts off with they say when one door closes another door opens and like doors were not even a thematically significant thing in this game unless you count like <laughs> having to use those giant keys to open them why would you use a cliche in the first place but why would, oh my gosh it's like no no, you don't get that one. You don't get it. <laughs> you don't get to use that one. Oh, man. Oh, Resident Evil 7. Yeah. This was another discussion that Andy and I had over the course of playing this game is another issue that... Another hurdle that... Another growing pain, I think, is the term I want to use that the video game industry is going through in terms of interactive storytelling is how much of a character do you make the player character? How much backstory do you give them? How much detail do you give them? How much personality do you give them beyond what the player brings to it? And I think there's two sort of philosophies that a lot of developers have, which is there's either, okay, there's the Silent Hill, Witcher 3, other games route of, okay, let's make this main character a very well-realized character in their own right. Yeah, um, they've all, they've got their own thing going on, especially like Geralt, or Geralt and the yeah. Witcher. Uh, that's one philosophy. And then there's the other philosophy where it's like, we want the, the player to be as immersed as possible, and so we're going to make the player character essentially a blank slate. And uh, they'll be able to impose their own feelings into the game that way and interact as if they're the character in the game. And uh, I don't know enough. I haven't played enough video games and I haven't studied the philosophies enough to really be able to go one which way or the other. I think there are advantages and disadvantages to both. Me personally, I prefer the former philosophy of giving the players a character that is fairly well realized because yeah. I always I always appreciate that emotional story like that's part of the reason I love the Silent Hill series so much is that they have a not always but they have some really well realized characters that have that you feel empathetic towards yeah unless you're giving me a character creator I would prefer the character to be you know more yeah. fully realized if you're giving me a character creator awesome 
Yeah, and yeah. Ethan, I don't, I don't really need too much of a story. Although I do like the the like Inquisition model of like, you know, you kind of get a bit of a backstory, not hmm. super a lot, um, and you're pretty much free to just define it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh, crap. Oh yeah, Ethan. Ethan's kind of like, I wouldn't even say halfway between like he, his motivate his motivations at the beginning are essentially essentially James Sunderland's, <laughs> uh, which zero punctuation was quick to recognize. It's like, oh. My wife's been gone for three years, and she just sent me a message that I need to go... Wait a second, where have I heard this before? (laughs) Um, Thankfully, they didn't... I'm glad that they didn't... That It was basically just the opening that had that sort of like, oh, guess what we're referencing type thing. Um, Yeah. But uh, Ethan is very much... like (laughs) Andy called him a wet blanket, which I guess is a a good term. And he's not even the worst blank slate character I've ever played, but he had a few moments where, like, it's when, like, the character says stuff that you don't necessarily connect with uh, or relate to, like when he's trying to be all macho when going to take out Lucas or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just moments like that where I'm just like, really? Uh, or when he's talking to the police officer. It was funny. When I... When I played the moment where he's talking to the police officer, I was very much like, dude, Ethan, you're going about this the wrong way. This is that same old horror movie trope of like, oh, you gotta believe me, but like, do you really expect him to give you a gun? But then when I was actually re-watching that part, watching someone else play it, I was like, you know what? Ethan isn't being as irrational as I thought he was. Yeah. I don't know what exactly changed, but whatever. Mm. And Mia, I really wish we... Again, giving that choice between her and Zoe some weight, because when I hit that point, I actually... There was part of me that was inclined to choose Zoe just because I had actually interacted with her more in the game. Whereas Andy... Andy was like, yeah, I found her kind of annoying, so I... It was a no-brainer for me. (laughs) I think that's what they were going for. Yeah. That it was like, you're... They want you to be, you know, they want you to be, or tr- like, think about choosing Zoe just because she's helped you, yeah. you know, until this But the, it, it, which on a certain, on a certain level I appreciate, but then they didn't make Mia enough of a character for that, that decision to really have a whole ton of weight. And then let alone what happens afterwards. Um, right, right. I really appreciated what they did with Mia afterwards and how it sort of gave, it, it, it filled in the plot holes that I'd been feeling up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, yeah. like, man, Mia early on in that game is just a non-entity. So when you're, when you get to that choice, it's like, oh, well, she's my wife, so that's the sort of sentimental reason why I should choose her, but I don't actually have a relationship with her as a player. Yeah. She chopped my fucking hand off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, not a perfect game, but 
again, the the things that I really like about the game so outshine the weaker moments. And I, I also played through the entire demo, like the the final version of the demo. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, although I didn't spend the time trying to do the the whole. That was very, very PT thing of, oh, now you have to point at different things with fingers so that you get the secret room. Although I did love watching that later and seeing that you get into that room and you just see a sign in a walking chair that just says, you're the best. <laughs> just troll the <laughs> hell out of the players for spending however much time it takes to actually track down all those points that you have to point the freaking finger at. and That's hilarious. <laughs> Although it was probably very, very frustrating for the people who actually did go through all of that. <laughs> um, just to get one extra coin. <laughs> but the demo was really cool, too. I really liked the demo and uh, the whole vibe of it. Yeah. Hmm. I think that might be about it for me. Yeah, I don't think I, uh, I, don't think I have anything more. Let us know um, if you had any other thoughts on it, listeners. Yeah, and uh, we'll be back next month with something else. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not promising this, but now that I've played this game, I do think I want to get back to Alien Isolation and actually play through that. Because uh, I played through the first half hour of it and really enjoyed it, but I never went back to it for whatever reason. But now that I've sort of through playing this other game, gotten back into the rhythm of, oh, yeah, this is how you play a video game. Maybe I'll try and hit that up, and we'll possibly talk about it on a later podcast. Mm. Not necessarily less next month, though. Uh, I'm very, very busy next month. <laughs> but we'll have something. Mark our words. <laughs> Mark them. Mark them. I do still need to watch uh, Firewalk with me, and Twin Peaks is coming out this summer. That's true. I'm excited for that. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll plan that when it gets uh, gets a little closer. Yeah. Oh, and American Gods is coming out too. Although that's not specifically horror. Yeah, that's kind of well, urban fantasy, I guess. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's all I've got. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you for joining us, listeners. Um, we'll see you again next month. Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can uh, hear our contact information after the music. Um, so thank you again, and uh, good night. Good night. This has been A Matter of Taste. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at amatteroftastepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at AOMOT Podcast. Find full episode posts at a matter of And follow us as a matter of taste podcast on Tumblr, Facebook, and iTunes. Thanks for listening.
It's not your fault. Anyway. But, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just a connection thing. I, I think we both know what I did, Ian. 